especially in Christian communities, you are taught that the marriage is very important. And I believe it. Marriage is very important. But it seems to me that we are saving marriages and not people. Because some marriages or relationships are very much destructive. And there was no one to save me. They were all saving my marriage. Hello and welcome back to Miseducated, where we tell stories about unlearning and the female experience. Today's episode is all about Zuzana Chahoyeva Brixova. She's currently the Director of Gender Equality and Equal Opportunities at the Ministry of Labour, Social Affairs and Family in Slovakia. In this episode, we're going to cover her remarkable story of how she overcame an extremely terrible domestic violence situation to become one of her country's biggest advocates for women's rights and the protection of women and children from violence. She's also a lawyer and got her master's from Leuven in Belgium in international and European law. She interned at the European Parliament in Brussels and the Helsinki Committee for Human Rights in Warsaw. So I hope you enjoy Zuzana's inspiring story of transformation. So hi, everyone, and welcome back to Miseducated with me, Tash Doherty. And today I have a very interesting guest, Zuzana Jehoyeva. Basically, I just wanted to talk to you for anything else that you want to share out there with other women in the world about your experiences, signs, how it's affected your life, how it's affected your children, and also about the amazing work that you're doing in the legal system to change this for the future of women in Slovakia and hopefully women around the world. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being here. <laughs> so where would you like to start in your story? I got married five years ago to a man uh, I thought I knew. I knew him for 10 years. And there were red flags, yes, he already started to be violent before we got married. But all my doubts were refuted with, gosh, that's premarital stress. Like the same in the US, also here, weddings are extremely expensive. And I was really at the edge of cancelling the wedding. It was very difficult because we already paid tons of money even for the, for the Slovakian Eastern region. I was pressured and manipulated into how can I do that to him? Like I'm going to do reputation if I cancel the wedding, like those $20,000 for a few months. But I was pressured into marrying him, not only by him intentionally, but also unintentionally by my friends, parents. Because, you know, I was told that I'm judgmental. It's normal that couples are really stressed and nervous before the wedding. The thing is, they didn't see him. They didn't see him screaming at me like, really, I was afraid. And I was young, 28, very innocent, my very first, very serious boyfriend. It's also important that I'm coming from a Catholic background. So I might be speaking later because I think Christianity, the certain distortions of Christianity really help create ground for good Christian women to be oppressed because they think they should suffer in the marriage because it's the holy way and they are going to reach heaven by that and that's their way to sanctity and already by the time I had a ring on my finger it just got worse like during the wedding I couldn't really dance 
because it was selfish of me to dance even who doesn't like dancing. So I wasn't supposed to be dancing on my very own uh, wedding day. And I was constantly taking care of him so he would be feeling well because he didn't like the food, he didn't like the temperature. And I was constantly like thinking, gosh, how am I going to change the environment to make him feel well? Like nobody told me that's his problem, not mine, that I'm not supposed to serve him. The wedding night, you know, if I was a bit stronger and I knew what I'm knowing now, I would leave the following morning. It was very violent. I was crying and begging for him to stop. It was awful. But I didn't because I was a married woman. I promised that I'm going to stay with that person till the very end of our lives. Then I'm going to be faithful. And I started blaming myself that I'm not a good wife, that I'm a bad lover. I don't know how to take care of my husband so then that he feels good. Because, you know, Christian women are taught that they are the ones who are responsible for marital home to be joyful and warm and welcoming and happy. And I thought I was failing all of that because he was constantly unhappy with me. And that created enormous pressure on me. I was miserable, but I didn't know what's wrong. I was blaming myself again, like constantly blaming myself. Uh, I got pregnant almost in an instant. My pregnancy was awful, like awful. I gained 35 kilograms. I don't know how much pounds it is, but I looked like a tiny elephant. I was all swollen. I could have hardly moved. I was vomiting daily. I had diarrhea and so on. And no one helped me. Like I was still carrying heavy groceries. Then after birth, he was openly commenting on the way I looked like. So I preferred to wear some comfortable clothes. I was all torn up. I had cesarean section. Everything was painful. Nursing was so painful. And I tried to wear something more comfortable. And he used to tell me to cover up because I was disgusting. And it really did hurt. I didn't know by the time that what was happening back at home was not normal. I've noticed that I, step by step, was being cut off from my family, my friends, my social contacts, being cut off. He was controlling the time I was coming back from work. Let's say if I wasn't back at home at certain time, I still remember that yelling. From that time on, I never, ever came back late. Never, ever. I always was coming like 5.30 straight. And I got so stressed if I was supposed to be late. I was texting him, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm late a few minutes. I was cooking every single day, yeah, like lunch, dinner, healthy stuff. I was taking care of the baby completely, completely on my own. Baby didn't sleep all night. I was awake for the first eight months of my baby's life. And all the new mothers, like I saw my friends, they were sometimes... And very often exchanged by their husbands or partners to help them. It never happened to me. I was serving both my baby and my husband as well. Not even yourself as well. I mean, you're the mother. You need sleep. You need happiness and strength and support. And where are you in that equation as well, right? It's like, that's impossible and so exhausting. I took care of my hair, my makeup, my clothes. So at least from the outside, I was very much representative, but I was exhausted. The behavior of my husband towards me, it started to be openly violent. 
The physical violence came very last by the end of the third year of our marriage. And it was two weeks. It was really the final thing that made me to leave. Verbal abusive. Uh, I wish women wouldn't be hearing the words I was hearing. Emotionally abusive. Um, all form like sexual abuse as well. And I didn't know, you know, speaking about sexual matters, like it's, you're not speaking about positive sexual experience. But imagine you're being abused and you have no one to talk to and you think that it's your fault because you're not a good lover and you are in pain, like literally in pain. You can't walk and then your husband blames you that you're not good enough. But I remember myself wishing that my husband finds someone else, that he has a mistress. It might make him more happy, that maybe he would be more peaceful than towards me. And towards our baby as well, because by the time he was reaching his, the end of his first year, like 11 months or something, he started to be verbally aggressive also towards him. Like, you just can't say to a really tiny baby who hardly walks, like, fuck off, you little bastard. Like, oh. imagine that. And, you know, my babies are really cute. And then when the second baby came, yes, you know, I was so afraid, like, I only realized when I was already pregnant with the second one that what I'm experiencing is abuse because I got in touch with these amazing American women. There's a Facebook group that comprises of women who has experienced or are experiencing marital abuse or partner abuse. And they were so helpful in teaching me and in supporting me what I was experiencing, what am I to do? It didn't matter that it was in America to find a validation it is not normal that your husband coerces you to have sex with him whenever he feels like that he doesn't respect your pain. They were the first ones to tell me. No one ever told me this before. That you're the whole, your marital life are walking on the eggshells, that you are controlling every single word you utter out from your mouth. And that was so validating. And, but still, I was searching for ways how to cure my marriage. Fear, especially in Christian communities, you are taught that the marriage is very important. And I believe it. Marriage is very important. Like it's really the best environment. Your children can really flourish. But it seems to me that we are saving marriages and not people. Because some marriages or relationships are very much destructive. And there was no one to save me. They were all saving my marriage. And I'm realizing only after I left that they were really focusing on saving something instead of someone. And I think this is not fair. This is not fair towards me or other women or our children. They can't force us to live in not only a toxic, but really a dangerous place. And I remember the terror that I was living through every day. I was on the highest doses on antidepressants. You can only imagine. I really knew how I was going to end my life. And the only reason why I didn't take my life for my children, because I was afraid they would be staying with him. And I was thinking that would be really selfish of me to leave them to that monster. <laughs> but I can't do that. I can't abandon them. And then he hit me in public because he didn't like the way I was disinfecting the car. Oh my God, what? Yeah, because once a year you have this service for the vehicle, for the cars, and he wasn't willing to pay shitty 30 euros, I think it's approximately $35 for disinfection. So he made me to do it. 
but he didn't like the way I was doing that. And he started to curse at me, like the ugliest words you can only imagine. Both kids were there. It was in public. And I was thinking because I was supported by those ladies at that group. I was, of course, I was super scared, but I told him, you know, I'm not going to continue this while you are this yelling at me. Just stop. And then I'm going to do that or do it yourself. And then it came that he didn't know how to do that. And <laughs> wait, so you were already cleaning the car. He didn't even know how to clean the car. And he's no. he's being no. awful and violent towards you for doing it the wrong way. Oh, my God. That's so terrible. And I had this blackout. I really had a blackout. You know, those detergents you clean the bathroom with, those sprays. It's like chemicals. Sp- yeah. yeah. And I sprayed that towards him. And the second I did it, I knew what I did was terribly wrong. And he tried to hit me, but because he wasn't prepared for hitting me, so he only went around my nose, so he didn't. It wasn't really even painful or anything, but that shocked that he really tried to hit me in public. And if he had a better angle, he might have had broken my nose. Were there other people around? Like, who was able to see this specific? It was a parking lot, and I think for sure they had cameras. Yeah, CCTV, yeah. Yeah. But at that moment, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I called his sister, who was supposed to be a social worker. No one knew in my family. I didn't want to blame my husband for anything. I wanted him to look like a godly, gorgeous man, gentleman. And that was the beginning of the end, because I contacted an organization that helps women, female shelter. They helped me to create another Gmail account. They helped me to find a place to run. And it took me two weeks to secretly in garage beach bags to remove my clothes, my baby's clothes, into a friend's house. I was so afraid that my husband would find out because he also found out in those two weeks the existence of that support group. He found out that I have... On um, Facebook? Yeah. What was the name of the group, by the way? How did you find out about it? Because, you know, I was in a cleaning group for Catholic women. So There's a yes, cleaning so, group for Catholic women. Yes. Oh, my God. These places and there was, yeah, and I think there are tons of cleaning groups and tons of groups that help Christian women to serve. And there was one lady oh, who wow. actually complained and hinted on that she might be in a toxic marriage. And there was this another one who told her, you know, that there's a group that comprises of women who experience abuse in their partnerships. And I was like commenting gosh I want to join too and my husband found out that I joined the group here at all my posts gosh that was the help at home that was the help it's a secret group so those ladies who are in there they learn about this group only via someone Mm -hmm. a friend invites them to that group got it I think I was very lucky because she also didn't mention the name of that group uh, during uh, in those comments. She only said that there is this group. And I did texted her, please, would you mind? I would like to join as well. And then those admins of those groups, they really do a profound checkup of you, who you really are. They see how long you are on Facebook, whether your profile is fake or it isn't. Sometimes they even chat with you to see whether it's really you. And only then they let you join. And... I'm not sure whether any of those ladies would be listening to this, but gosh, you're amazing. You really did help me. All your experience and your advice and prayers and everything, it really did help me to get out of that. And the scenes they were, he was doing me and he didn't hit me because he knew that I was constantly holding my phone 
ready to call the police already. But I was vomiting. I couldn't walk. I had diarrhea out of the stress that I was experiencing. Plus two kids, imagine two little babies. Uh, the, the youngest one was one year old and the second one was two and a half years old. <laughs> Plus cleaning our apartment had 200 square meters. And I was supposed to clean that apartment every single day, like three bathrooms, three toilets, to cook, clean, to take care of the babies, to uh, be a comedian for my husband because I was supposed to entertain him. And then one a very happy morning, I just when I thought that all the things that was were necessary for me were already gone because I didn't know whether he would destroy the rest when he finds out that I left because he used to destroy my things in the past. I knew that, like my favorite clothes or Christmas decorations or cookies, which I did with the kids. Oh my um, gosh, it's so heartbreaking. That's so. Oh, God, it's so terrible. I, I don't understand why he was doing this, like, ex- exercising control over me. Like, yeah, I remember him stepping in the middle of the night. We were sleeping separately. He stepped into my bedroom. He switched on the light and woke me up and told me, you know, I'm not going to leave until you do that and that and that and that. And he used to stand in front of me. Maybe I was holding uh, one baby in my arm, in in the right arm, the other one in the other one, both sleeping. And I was like, I didn't know what to say. Sometimes I complied because I didn't know what else to do. By the end, no. And when I didn't comply, then he started to destroy my things. Like those are my favorite clothes. He used to clean with them and then he just thrown them in front of my face. And, but then I'm, I'm sorry, I know the way I'm speaking, it's it's chaotic. It just all coming. No, because it's your experience. You had a full experience for like, you know, three years, right? Of the time that you were married. So I don't think there's any right way to tell the story because also it's the details. They, you're doing really well. This is great. This is really, really, really important. And I think uh, this is what women in my situation should hear where the specific ways of abuse, that they can recognize the patterns in their own relationships. That helped me to see, okay, so this is an abusive behavior. If I didn't know that these were abusive patterns, I wouldn't realize I was in one because I thought that it might have been normal, even though my parents have a very happy and respectful marriage. And uh, let's say, even though they would never admit it, they are both feminists. <laughs> they would never admit it, especially my father, <laughs> because he thinks he's a strong anti-feminist. <laughs> no, he has many strong daughters in his family. And, well, where I end it with my story. Well, I left one day. One morning, I picked up my clothes. I cleaned the whole apartment, cleaned it from the very top to the very bottom, all those bathrooms, bedrooms, vacuum clean, wash the floor. I cooked, uh, what did I cook? Yeah, I remember very well. It was a roast of lamb with uh, rosemary and garlic and roasted potatoes. So my husband knew that I, it's not that I'm not going to give him a chance that I still love him, but this is not how I can live anymore. Plus I used to do a sourdough loaf of bread just to show him that I'm not living for good. Because at that time, I didn't know I was living for good. I still hope that my husband can go and start a therapy, for for example. But the longer I was gone, 
the longer I realized, gosh, I'm not going back into that. That was abusive. It's not able to change. Like I started to value my freedom. So I will never be able to work like I'm working right now. As I learned, abusers don't change. That's something you cannot change. Like if they are, it's one in a million. But in more than 99%, abusers don't change. This is something I learned later on. And I didn't want to be a slave again because I was literally a slave in every possible aspect you can only imagine. Like this, but he didn't pay for me enough. Sometimes I was thinking like, if he did pay for me, at least he would value me a bit more. When I left for, for this place that no one knew where it was, um, I was really feeling bad for the first two days. I was just lying and those lady and her husband, I was staying in their house or taking care of my children because I couldn't move. I was so stressed. And they were taking care of me for the full two weeks, more or less. And then my mom and my family learned where I was. And the day where they learned my new phone number, because I left, I parked the car under the bridge and they came to pick me up. Um, and then I got a phone call informing me that there is an opening in the Ministry of Family and Social Affairs, that they are searching for a gender equality director. <laughs> Wait, was this literally the same, around the same time that you left your husband? Yeah, it was like seven or nine or eight days. No. It was, I think, the very day my mother learned my new phone number because I was afraid that I would leave um, uh, a digital trace. And then they informed me that this is this position and why do I try? And I was like, well, fuck, why do I try? And you're already I, qualified as a lawyer, right? Like you already trained yeah, yeah, and studied yeah, law. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I studied in Belgium. Uh, I have a master's in international and European law. And I also have some working experience from abroad. And uh, by the time I already had an agreement that I'm going to work as a cleaning lady, I had to have something to support my kids because I oh, yeah. left with 30 euros. I didn't have anything. I, I had those clothes in my friend's house that I didn't know where to wear them. Um, my kids had a few coats, uh, a few tiny baby cars for my babies, and that was it. And 30 euros and a phone that was borrowed from someone. So I, I asked a lady who runs a dormitory for girls. It's a Christian dormitory that whether they are not searching for a, for a cleaning lady. And I knew that because she was a friend of mine, she might have been open for me to have more flexible arrangements because I have kids. So that was my plan. And then I've learned about this position. I tried <laughs> and they, they accepted me. Oh my gosh. So can you tell us more about the role that you have right now as the Director of Gender and Equality in Slovakia? So my agenda is to protect women from violence, to, to eliminate and to prevent violence against women and domestic violence as well to work with our administration bodies in Slovakia to ensure that we haven't only proclaimed that we are all for gender equality for our constitution, but the gender equality principle is really being lived on by our state institutions 
And at this very moment, we are working on action plan on elimination and prevention of all forms of violence against women and domestic violence. We are trying to amend our criminal code to take into the account that the notions we, that are codified in our criminal code regarding rape are quite outdated because we all expect, and also the way I understand it is that our criminal code expects that woman is going to scream and yell and to fight against the rapist. But the latest studies and the evidence shows that that's simply not, not true, that women freeze and they don't fight back. And this is something I believe we should have covered in our criminal code to really show that say, all forms of sexual activities must be consensual. The second thing we are also working on is a new special provision on domestic violence, because now we have something like criminalizing torture. But in reality, the perpetrators of domestic violence, they simply go unpunished and they abuse one woman, they go on and abuse other women. And when woman finally decides to leave an abuser, then another custody fight starts and the abuse is not taken into account at all. And we believe if there is a criminal charge and a person gets punished for domestic abuse, then a woman has something as a protection in the custody battle. And I'm always saying that I'm picking up all the faults on myself because I went to the police station to announce rape. The police officer asked me, okay, mom, and what were you wearing? No, that's the, I, that's like literally the worst question. And did you speak with him before? Was he violent like this before? And I was like, well, yes, he was violent always. Oh, guys, it's not right then. <sighs> you married to him. No, you still are. It's not great. I'm not going to even try that down. Oh, for God's sake. Uh, God, I slept here, slept there. Oh, mom, that's not domestic violence. Guys, you know, your husband is only highly emotional. You should respect that. <sighs> God, you're really uh, going up against the worst of the worst. And I guess my question is, if you are applying for this job a week after you got out of this whole mess, how have you managed to recover yourself whilst also preparing yourself for this role? Because I feel like you have to be working through so many of your own challenges immediately with therapists and all these people and facing the ministry. Like you've gone from a private issue to a much more public sphere. And I feel like that's going to be so difficult. It's difficult. It still is. And also when they announced that I was accepted to the job, there was a lot of criticism against me being accepted to this job years before. I used to work for as a director of law department in the Catholic Bishops Conference. And there was only one medium that didn't criticize me being working here because they were all thinking that and criticizing that this is not a position for a woman that uh, is obviously biased and that she knows nothing about gender equality. And because the church doesn't know about doesn't know about gender equality, a word, and that she's going to oppress women and that you are going to give this super important department to the hands of the Catholic church and so on and so on. And I've been criticized. And, but because it was really a month after I left, Nothing can compare to what I was experiencing with my husband. Nothing. 
So even though now it's hard, but I love my job, I think what I'm doing is important, makes sense, helps women. And the same that criticism in the very beginning, like nothing can compare to what I was experiencing with my husband, the constant stress for my health, my life, my sexual integrity. So, you know, like feel free to criticize me. God, welcome here. You feel like yelling at me. Uh, you think I don't have experience with yelling? Please feel free. I mean, it's useful, but it's also so awful at the same time. And I mean, now looking at your work that you're doing, do you think it's been shaped by your experiences? Like before, like let's say you did this job and you had never had this domestic violence experience. What do you think and believe now that you didn't before? Yes, I think it really matters. And I'm really thankful to all of the women and to all the female shelters and to all those feminists who trust women without experiencing that, what I was experiencing. Because I'm not sure I would be able to do that before. I feel really guilty and I'm ashamed for saying this, but it also helped me to understand the other group's perspective because, and, and I might think that I might not be believing in every case as well. I might be thinking, well, why is she coming up with this? Why, why didn't she live sooner if this was this bad? Not having lived through this myself, I might not have been able to understand, like really feel why these women and their kids are doing the way they are doing. Because I understand from the outsiders or from the people who have never experienced this, their reactions can be really puzzling. Now I understand them. And I'm afraid to say, without living this experience, I might not have been able to understand them and maybe not even trust them. And I feel sorry for that. Yeah, and I will say, though, I think that's almost universal in the sense because whether it's sexual assault or physical abuse or all these stories, people are always questioning, even Meghan Markle, you know, going in front of the news and people questioning what are her ulterior motives for sharing her experiences and is she lying, right? Um, I think, unfortunately, at the end of the day, you're not supposed to believe women. You think that they have ulterior motives, but we really don't. And I think you, at some level, have to have experienced some kind of violence. Like, I went through a very violent situation. It was not in public. There were no other witnesses. It was me and a man in a park. So every time I tell my story, I have to make sure that other people believe me. Are you willing to believe my story of what happened to me when nobody else was there to see it? And that, I think, is what is changing today, is we are believing each other's stories. And unfortunately, we have to often go through something traumatic and difficult. But then also pave the way forward with the legislation that you're changing so that you can train and help the courts to believe women as well, so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, but aren't you afraid, like, aren't you sick of explaining yourself all the time? Like I ceased explaining or excusing myself because I was trying to search for excuses. And because people were thinking, you know, abused women don't look like you. They don't give interviews. They don't work the way you do. You've cheated on your family. You shouldn't have left. You should have raised more and so on. And at a certain point, not so long ago, it appears that I simply ceased excusing myself in the eyes of the others. I knew what I went through. And I'm aware of what are the consequences of what I've done. Criminal proceedings, custody trial, divorce, it's all ugly, you can imagine. But 
I will never go back. And I wish other women have at least the same chances of starting a new life as I did. Yeah, it seems like you are really up against like a tough opposition. So how do you, you know, keep staying strong, I guess, despite all of that? So how do I cope? Well, I'm seeing a therapist once a week, a specialized one, not in contact with people whom I know who are suspicious, who might not be bad people. I believe in their best intentions. But right now, I'm not going to excuse or explain myself to anyone. And I don't know how long it's going to take, a year, two, three, four, a decade, I don't know. So right now, I'm trying to avoid people who would want some explanations why I did the way I did. First of all, I don't owe any explanations to anyone. And second, even if I would give them today one day, because I don't feel like it right now, I need to get myself better first. And I love my job. I couldn't do anything but cleaning and cooking and taking care of the kids. So I really, uh, one day I'll show the pictures of the way how I can cook. And I love that I can use my energy into something Well, you see here, like there's a commentary on our constitution, human rights, it's a criminal code that I can think and really use my talents into something, how to say that, that might be tangible one day in the way it can help real women, that they can say, okay, I can feel this. Now we have kindergartens everywhere because in Slovakia, you are really lacking kindergartens. And when you don't have a kindergarten, an affordable one, how can you go to work? And how can an abused woman who doesn't have anything go to work and take care of themselves if they have to take care of their kids? So creating by these very simple steps that might not look like having very much in common with eliminating domestic violence, but step by step by these small steps will create a better world. But also for men too, I'm not saying that they are not decent men. I believe there is a majority of decent men who are gentlemen and loving and I believe one day we'll have a bit better world. That's amazing. And just because you guys can't see, Susanna is in a big office. It's her own office. She's like professionally dressed and she's like opening the cupboard and she's got her shoes in the cupboard and there's documents all over the room that she's working on with sticky notes. And and I'm really glad I could interview you as well in this room because it feels like you're really in your element, you know, and I can I can really feel that amazing energy. So there's a couple more things. I just was wondering if you could talk a bit more about Christianity and in what ways do you think Christianity is failing women and how can um, these religious narratives be improved so that you don't find yourself in this situation because you're trying to be a good Christian wife? I will be speaking about Catholicism because the Christianity is uh, so much broader than Catholicism. But in general, I don't think... Christianity is the problem itself. I think it's distortions of Christianity and the people who interpret Christianity a certain way. Yes, in the Catholic Church, we have something called Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's really like what you are supposed to believe as a Catholic. And you have very clearly stated that abuse is prohibited and not only prohibited, woman is not supposed to endure this. So we have that we are supposed to save a person, not an institution. I'm just saying what I feel. It's just my perceptions that by elevating the marriage and by really trying to hold the marriage intact at every cost, we are trying to protect it 
kind of from I don't know what kind of enemy. And we are forgetting about people in that marriage. We are, I would say, ignoring what the Christianity says. We are protecting something instead of someone. And I'm not also blaming those priests and pastors that they have bad intentions, even though many of them are abusers themselves, unfortunately. The submission that is being presented to uh, Christian women, Catholic women, as something that they should follow in their marriages, that the husband is the head and the wife is the heart of the family. Because it's not like that they are both equal. Like, they have both equal standing. And this is what Christianity says. It's just as this distorted version kind of elevate the position of man, deteriorate woman into a sexual object that is supposed to serve male's sexual needs, that a man can control everything but his sexual urges, and but is supposed to be open to whatever he wants. And another thing that really helped me being the way I was, was that marriage is not supposed to make you happy. But this is not true. This is something you're being fed off. This is not even doctrinally correct. I know it by now. But that the marriage is not supposed to make you happy, but holy. And you are supposed to be the carpet on which your spouse is walking, so you make his life easier. Now, imagine that both partners really live the way that we are trying to make the other partner's life better. There's this myth that it's so much better for children to stay in abusive but intact family than to grow up in a family without abuse, with single parent, with kind of elevating this institution instead of helping women. Or men, men also can be abused, of course. Yeah, and even the more unequal interpretation of the doctrines and elevating that rather than yes. the women and an equal loving relationship, which is really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm really glad that you brought all of these things up. And are you still afraid for what the outcome will be with your like custody battles and divorces and things? And like, how is that going now in your, in your day-to-day life? Yes, I'm very much afraid. Not that much for me, but I'm afraid for my children. I don't want them to end up with an abuser. As I know from my first-hand experience, is an abuser. And the fact that those are kids is not going to stop him. When I was there, he was abusing me because I was kind of like hitting wall and I was protecting the children. But when I'm not there, like what would stop him? What would prevent him from abusing the children instead? So I'm afraid how it's going to turn out, but... And I'm doing my best to influence the very best outcome for my kids, but I know it's not in my hands. But also what I'm trying to do for these other women, because did I knew that I might be fighting for my kids this much? It might be that those my kids might be stripped out of my protection. I might not be leaving at all. And this is the reason why many women don't leave because they're afraid for their children. I would like to help women in the custody battles to protect them and their kids from abusers i would say this in english post separation violence let's say so i'm afraid of this as well i have amazing lawyers they have like really clever minds they're doing the best they can my husband also has a very good lawyer of course but uh, it's taking more than a year now that's very exhausting every single day every single time i'm at the police or a social with a social worker or i have a court date I have to take it whole day off because I'm so sick. I have 
terrible migraine, all those symptoms, these health symptoms like diarrhea, bleeding, headaches are coming back again. But I know it's going to be over one day and I still believe God exists, even though there are moments that I'm very angry and you can't really be angry at someone who you don't believe in. I'm really angry, like, why did he do this to me? But I hope that because he helped me to get out of that, because I, looking back, I don't know how I was able to do that. He wouldn't, not me, but my children, he wouldn't put them in a worse position than they were before I left. So faith in this, that really keeps me going. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a sign of incredible strength, everything that you've done and that you are doing now. I think you're like making the best of a really, really difficult situation, which is really admirable and could be written about in books and trailblazing and fighting all these institutions of people that don't believe women. So I think that's, it's just, it's really, really amazing to hear and very inspiring. So thank you so much for, for sharing that part. Um, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think there's one very important thing to hear, especially for Christian women, because I also think in America is so much more prevalent than here. And even here, it's very strong. It's purity culture that unless you are super pure for your husband and your first experience is supposed to be the very special one and you are supposed to save yourself for, for your future husband. And it was something that also have made me because it still makes me feel very bad and dirty and ugly and everything. Yes, my husband was the very first man I had sex with. And that was also a thing he used against me because I was so inexperienced and I blamed myself for being bad in everything. And I think this purity culture like really elevates, uh, uh, well, I'm not encouraging, like don't understand me wrongly, I'm not encouraging in any way irresponsible sexual behavior, but things happen and girls and women don't cease to be valuable just because they have some sort of or whatever or how even tons of sexual experience. And there was also one thing that really held me to marry my husband because I thought, okay, well, I did kiss my husband, gosh. And I thought I have to marry a guy I kissed. And if this kind of so-called purity culture didn't pressure me into marrying someone just to make myself pure again, I might not have married that person ever. So just the girls were listening like, who cares? Like, not like who cares, behave responsibly, of course, but it's not that you're less valuable. You're still very much valuable in every case. Definitely. But I think the point is to be said, that's the sanctity of virginity, right? You're protecting the thing, the virginity, the purity, and not the person. And that's what the culture is is putting above the rights and the experiences of the young women. It's like... The virginity matters more than your happiness and you, your yes. and you. Or, yeah, or your value. Like once you lose your virginity, you're not valuable anymore. I think this is the message we are giving to young girls. For whatever form of romantic or sexual contact you have, it makes you less valuable. And that is not true. I'm wondering if you have any reflections on masculinity and maybe he was raised or any of these other things that you think we can do to avoid creating generations of abusers in general? Well, I can speak only of my own experience. Um, What I didn't know before marrying my still husband is that he also came from an abusive household. His family had an history of abuse of his father towards his mother. They got divorced. I always thought because it was of the financial reasons, but they are still good friends and so on. No, it's not true. His mother is extremely afraid of her ex-husband. 
and there was physical violence as well. So I think family is important, also what you learn in the family. But it also seems to me that my husband has experienced a form of abandonment in the very critical age till the age of three. That's my suspicion that he is this disorder, uh, narcissism, and it's created when a child experiences a serious form of abandonment at the age of one till the age of three, and then that person is never able to be more emotionally mature than the three years old child. I'm not blaming his mother because living through the hell myself, and I can imagine the hell she was living in, she might have not really be able to fully support her children. But I think that children, they really need some emotional warmth at those critical ages to have at least one loving and stable parent. And that those patterns of abuse, I think, are kind of inherited from generation to generation. And it takes a lot of therapy and interventions and things to stop the cycle from continuing, I guess. I think so. But because I'm not an expert, that's why I'm always trying to invite experts from this field when we have discussions on this topic. Definitely. Yes, that was all the questions that I had. But I really just want to thank you so much for sharing your story, because I'm so glad that we're in this position now having this conversation. And in a way, I feel like you're really using all of the pain and all of the difficult things that you've gone through to make the world a better place. And that's I'm so in awe of what you're doing. Well, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. I was very much nervous before starting this conversation. Also about my English, because I work mostly in Slovakian now. It's not like I'm using English every day. Well, I hope that really, even if one girl or woman hears this and she decides to change her life, I I would like to tell her that it's possible. And if there is anyone around Slovakia or Czech Republic, or I don't know, maybe even Hungary, like listening to this, we are really ready to help my email address is public. Just feel free to text me. I'm sure we do something. That's amazing. Susanna, thank you so much for joining us and wishing you all the best of luck and success in your new job and your kids and your beautiful family and everything. And, and see you in real, like, in real one day. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Miseducated. If you're wondering how Zuzanna's doing, she's absolutely kicking butt at her job and living safely and soundly with her kids and her family in Bratislava. So we're really, really glad that you're safe, Susie. You can now find us on Substack, so I will link that in the description of this episode. And sending you lots of love. Bye.